well, if you think that eating pizza three times a day is going to help you lose weight, and that's what you start doing, well, like that performance metric is going to send you in the opposite direction. Yeah. So you need to make sure that you can identify the key metrics mm-hmm. that will lead to success. on average read 60 books per year. Many attribute their professional success to this persistent quest for new wisdom and innovative excellence. MentorBox makes it easy for you to develop that same high-achieving habit of lifelong learning. As a person of action, you know that true ingenuity is the result of deep learning and knowledge. And just by listening to this podcast, you are working toward your goals every single day. If you're ready to wholly embrace this mindset, this 1% better every day, then check in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes. And if you want to dive deeper into the teachings of our guests, become a member at MentorBox.com today. There, we'll be uploading a course from Jamie Mraz. Jamie is a speaker, fitness expert, and coach. But not just any coach. He has worked with four different NFL teams, including the Giants and Jets of New York, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Cleveland Browns. Having obtained degrees in exercise science and sports psychology, Jamie strives to help athletes and corporate leaders achieve peak performance through development of mental toughness. We discuss what it's like to work with the best athletes, the most highly achieving physical specimens on the planet. On the field, off the field, in the media, and at home, I know you'll find Jamie's insider take very intriguing. Thanks for listening. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Mentor Box Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lay, Content Coordinator, and today I am here with actually an original mentor of mine, Jamie Mraz. Jamie, it's really great to see you again. It's been a while, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm excited to see you, and uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We just finished up a workshop. We talked about all the crazy stuff that you've been doing since we last you know, encountered each other back back on the football football field, and since then you, you've moved up to the true professional level. You've worked with four different NFL teams. You've worked at the D1 level. You played you know, college football yourself, and you've, you've just done some really crazy stuff. And I want to kind of talk to you about what that's like, what it's like to work with NFL players. But you did mention, as we were just kind of casually talking today, that it was always your goal to kind of you know, make it to that professional level, uh, to the NFL in some capacity, maybe to play but ultimately what you did was you worked as a strength and conditioning coach. And I think it's so fascinating that you were literally dealing every single day with like basically some of the strongest, most you know, physically dedicated people on the planet. And we see a lot of those folks, a lot of the players in the news and in the media, but we know how like practiced those interviews are and how careful they have to be. How much can you reveal about what those guys are like <laughs> behind the scenes and off the field? Well, you know, I always like to say that they're just normal dudes. Yeah, yeah. It's, they're just they're just normal guys, and and at the end of the day, you know, just like everybody else, we've, everyone just is trying to you know be successful, be happy, and be the best they can be. So although you know it is very limited in what they put in the media, at the end of the day, they're just trying to do a good job and and improve themselves just like everyone else is doing yeah but the stakes are so high for these yeah. guys too like in the nfl the nfl you mentioned it's like literally a 
billion, multi-billion dollar industry. Every single Sunday during the season, like cities and places shut down because those games are on. So like it it must be hard to just be another guy when you're dealing with like, all right, we gotta go win that Super Bowl this year. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just feel like from your end of the end of the stick where you're training and conditioning them, that's a difficult job. And and to give people an idea of what you've been doing, um, you've always been sort of a, a motivational speaker and a, and just like a coach in many ways, a life coach since then too. How do you keep these guys focused and stay focused yourself knowing that these stakes are so high? Is that just part of the job at the end of the day? It's interesting when you frame it that way. I think sometimes you get a little numb to it. Uh, I think that you get used to being in front of 80,000 people. I think you get used to video cameras. You get used to cameras pictures everywhere. And I think it's something you almost get numb to, but the pressure that we build is internally. Cause you know, one of the things we spoke about earlier was having those blinders on. And a lot of times, you know, we block out the media. So the pressure you feel is more internally amongst your peers, amongst your coaches. And a lot of times we're trying to build pressure. You're trying to put that pressure on to perform and succeed. And we just talk about focusing, having on your blinders, and just always coming back into small steps, mm-hmm. small things at a time. Because it, it's intimidating. If you step back and you take a second and you look, it can be very intimidating and it can make you nervous. It can make you scared. So what we try to do is have a very, very small focus, myopic focus. And we're looking at little baby steps, one step at a time, what's important right now. And that's how we focus. And you studied sports psychology. You have a, is it a master's in sports psychology? So yeah, I have my um, bachelor's in exercise science. I got my master's in kinesiology with a concentration in sports psych, yes. Okay. And this is something that's always kind of fascinated me because I played a lot of sports and, you know, I worked with you, trained with you a lot too. And just the idea of sports psych, like I kind of discovered that it was a thing that you could study in when I was in school and like about to graduate actually. And I kind of wondered, like, I've studied a little bit of psychology, but like, I wonder what that actually covers when you're studying that as a topic. And I kind of want to dive into that a little bit, if you don't mind. Like, are, is, does part of that look at, like, the weight of the eyes that are on you and the media and all that? Like, does that come into what you studied there? Or is it just more about, like, what happens on the field, how to, like, maintain, you know, good mental health, emotional health, that sort yeah. of thing? So there's a, a couple different branches of psychology. Um, you know, there's clinical, there's um, all, all different, you know, when you go and speak with a counselor, that's technically psychology. Yeah. And the branch I like to say we focus on is performance psychology. Okay. So what we're looking at is peak performing, whether it's in any field, whether, you know, whether it's business, whether it's sports, mm-hmm. whether it's interviewing, anything you're doing, it could be cooking dinner. We're looking at the psychology. That's the place I'm most concerned for performing my peak. When you have family family coming over and you don't want to cook a dry salmon, no one likes dry salmon. Of course not. So you don't want to cook a dry chicken breast. You know, when you got family coming over, you need to impress the in-laws. You know, you're performing under pressure. And what we want to do is how do the best do that? How do you perform under pressure? How do you perform at your peak repeatedly over and over and over again? How can you do it? And that's the field that I studied in was performance psychology. Um, okay. And it's fascinating and it applies to all walks of life, not just sports. Um, just like we said, cooking dinner. You don't, want, you don't want to mess that chicken up. So how are you going to do it? <laughs> so, so are you starting from a broad sort of psychology 
understanding and like did you take like intro psych in college essentially yes what I'm absolutely yeah 100 okay. percent. yeah yeah in, yeah in my last profession I, i've mentioned this a few times on the podcast but i i worked a lot with psychologists and psych professors because i was selling textbooks and i just i learned a lot about it very <laughs> broadly and it still fascinates me where that field is going in terms of like you know neuroscience and psychology kind of overlapping a lot yeah. and what's being discovered there but how much of that were you kind of like taking direct principles from what you learned and like direct concepts and then just like applying them to players? Because I, I think about it from like a clinical perspective. Like in some cases, you probably have to help them out with like the weight of what they're doing and the fact that they're pushing themselves to their absolute limits and they are the best in the world. Yeah. So how often did you feel like you were taking those sports psych principles and being like, look here, you know, Vontez, perfect. They're just like Greg Little. <laughs> one, of my favorite, one of my favorite guys, Vontez. Love Vontez. Yeah, like, the, like these huge, like very yeah. famous players that are like insane athletes. When did you actually like take those psychological principles and like, here's what I know because I have this degree. Yeah. Here's what you need to do. Did that happen? Absolutely. And I think that is, it's kind of a little bit what we talked about earlier off camera is the art of coaching mm-hmm. and the art of I, yeah, I mean, we'll say coaching because you know what? If you're a CEO, if you're a manager, anytime you're working with other people, you're coaching them really at yeah, the end of the day. Absolutely. And and what it is 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 taking learned concepts and applying it. Mm-hmm. So you can read the books, you can take all the quizzes, you can get A's and 100s, but if you don't know how to apply that knowledge, then it's worthless. So it's taking these principles and concepts and then figuring out how to apply it to the current situation you're in, the personality you're with. Because if it, you know, everyone has different personalities depending on who you're talking to. So how do you approach, what approach do you take, what angle do you take, and how do you apply those concepts you learned? So that, that is probably the biggest thing um, where you know I'm definitely not the smartest person, I know that. I know there are a lot of people that are smarter than me, have more experience than me, know more than me, um, but they might lack the ability to apply. Or to bridge that gap between textbook and reality. So that is definitely probably the biggest thing of uh, working and taking all these concepts of psychology and just using it. How do yeah. you use it? How do you do it? You know? Yeah, yeah, I see. Um, another interesting thing that you mentioned to me is you gave me some statistics on, I think it was like the, the Bengals and the Browns when you were working with them, how you actually like reduced the the injury rate that was yeah. happening on the team. And could, could you like recap those? And also what was your role when you were with, I think it was yeah. the Bengals when you were in Cincinnati? Yeah. yeah. So in Cincinnati, I came into Cincinnati. I was a coaching assistant and was in overseeing all their sports science. So that's GPS, any type of movement tracking, any number really. What we were doing is we're basically taking practice and giving it a value. Giving it a number. Yeah, like numeric um, value. Yep, a numeric value. And, and now this is kind of the geek side of me. Then you can turn it into statistics and math, and you can actually try to find you know, that perfect equation. And all we did was we manipulated the practice volume and intensity to benefit the player's health and recovery. Just like you know, anything in life, you can't go all out every day you will burn out at some point. So all we did was we just worked on manipulating the practice volume and intensity to get the best result for Sunday. I'm really fascinated by these like sort of analytics, the micro analytics that you were dealing with here because I know that you are a very serious athlete and I was once too and obviously these NFL players are and the things that people love about these athletes, if you had to like break it down to, you know, the like the fa- your your favorite thing about an athlete 
if you go and ask any dad on the street, favorite thing about, you know, any player, it's like probably a highlight or something like that. That's what's going to come to their mind immediately. Of course, they might say, I love how they did this and this and this over time. But those big hits, those crazy three-pointers, the dunks, those are the things that people remember a lot, as well as like statistics like that they created in the game, the, the way they played and the points that they contributed to their teams. But these sort of back-end statistics and analytics are things that basically nobody sees except for like you and the people that are working on that back end with the players. How do you make that sort of psychological mind transition from like what you value, like on the like on the front end as like a fan and a player yourself where you're going, you you love those big moments, those crazy fun athletic moments to like, okay, what is going to over time have the best like you know, optimization for our players' safety and for their performance. It just seems like you have to make a big switch in your brain there. It's funny you ask in what, obviously, as a fan and as a, you know, I guess, co-worker, because really you're working with them, yeah, um, you do want to see those big plays. You want to see the big runs. You want to see the big catches. Mm-hmm. And what I essentially was trying to do was reverse engineer that. Yeah. How, yeah. Did, how did we get there? So what does it take to make that run? How fast does this player have to run in order to do that? What condition do they have to be in? How many times a week do they have to do this? Mm -hmm. And what I tried to do was, what do we need on Sunday? And then how can we get that throughout the week to optimize, to put our players in the best position to make those big plays? And for me, it was a lot of fun to look into that and to see, you know, how, how are we doing this? How are we running? How fast are we running? Do we have to run more? Do we have to run less? In order to get to a point on Sunday where we're able to do that. Yeah. Because if a player is out of shape, well, they might run 20 yards and then they get tired and now you get caught. There's that big play potential is gone. Yeah. So you have to practice those big plays. And that was one of the most fascinating parts of being part of the practice and, uh, you know, building that and, and seeing everything. But what about the players themselves that you're dealing with still? Do they ever hear you say things like, all right, Andy Dalton, you know, you've thrown 600 passes in the last three days or to one of the receivers, you know, like you've run this many miles this week. You need to kind of like take it easy for the next day or two. Do you ever like say that to them? And they're like, you're keeping track of these like micro numbers on me. And I'm, I'm like, I'm just trying to practice. I'm trying to like get better. And you're telling me not to do these things because of something that I can't even feel or really see. Do the players ever like push back on that sort of analytical Mindset? Uh, Absolutely. And you know what? It's funny. There's two different types of players. Mm -hmm. There's the player that will kill you if you try and tell him he needs to (laughs) calm down and he needs to step off the field or he's not allowed to run anymore. And then there's the other player that embraces it and tries to say, I've done too much. I need to take a break. Or I've, you know, look at the numbers. Look how much I've done. I need to back off. And honestly, how I deal with it is individualized. Mm -hmm. each player by player. And then also, I would only try to bring something to light if there's other, you know, everything's tied together like we talked about, mind, body, spirit, it's all together. So if a player comes in and says, ooh, you know, my hamstring's sore, Mm -hmm. well, then we would look and see, you know, what have you actually done? If you ran a lot and your hamstring is sore, okay, yeah, maybe we need to take a break. If you have not run a lot and your hamstring's sore, then it's, okay, maybe there's an imbalance. Let's check it out, what's going on. Um, so there's there's always, you know, checks and balances. So it's never just, oh, you ran this much, you need to take a break. It's, 
more based on you ran this much. How are you feeling? What's going on with your body? And what do you think? Because they always know at the end of the day, they know themselves better than anyone else does. You know your body better than I do. So it's more about the numbers are almost like a guide. And in a rough estimate, you know, hey, this is kind of where we want to be on these days um, versus these days. Or, you know, it could be this. Hey, today's going to be a light day. Mm -hmm. And then we have practice. And then afterwards, you're like, ooh, you know what? That really wasn't a light day. That was actually, that was very normal. You know, that was actually pretty regular. That was pretty average. So you can, you know, it's just a learn. You can gauge, you can learn and uh, go from there. But the numbers are never an absolute. But absolutely, players do sometimes look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, sure. You know, why are we even looking at that? I'm just thinking about this from like other standpoints, maybe other like realms of like business and just other areas where numbers are really important and it does get into that like very analytical um acute observation of like where you are like in sales you know like where are your numbers this quarter versus last quarter these aren't usually day-to-day things um it sounds like what you're uh, functioning with is like day-to-day analysis of like how much they're working and what they're doing do you think that this sort of analysis is going to like spread from from out of this incredibly lucrative, popular entertainment <laughs> industry of you know NFL and athletics, I'm sure other sports do this sort of thing too. But do you think it it has the ability to like spread to business and other places like this? You know, I think it actually came from business. Really, I think it it got into sports from business. And there's different ways of looking at it, different mindsets. So um, you can look at the day to day. And then you can look at the week, you can look at the month, you can look at, you know, the quarter of the season, the first four games in the NFL specifically. And you could look at those cumulative numbers. I actually think it originally came from business. I think that the true analytics was actually, you know, the movie Moneyball. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where it originated, where they started to take, you know, kind of a numbers approach to sports. That's the kind of battle going back and forth is, you know... The art of coaching versus the num- the science of coaching, yeah, yeah. and that's the balance you need to find. It you need to find that perfect balance of science and art, and you know how does someone feel versus what do the numbers say? Because sometimes the numbers aren't always accurate. Yeah, it, it, but it does seem to me like this is a good example of like what would be considered micromanagement in in the business world, where you're like you're literally talking to a player, being like, "You've thrown too many passes today, or you've run too many steps. You need to take it easy." And like, again, this is like, it's a different industry. It's based in direct competition for, you know, a Super Bowl ring. Like this is huge stuff. It's much more visible, that sort of thing. But I, the things that I'm starting to see are, and the people that I'm starting to speak to really think that like tracking certain things in your own, like almost like from a personal level, like if you keep track of the tasks that you complete, like I think Jocko Willink he talks a lot about like specific things that you can do in your day that really just establish certain things. Like just getting up at 4 a.m. Like that's a that's a number and it's a time during the day when you begin things and it establishes something within you. Like you're up before other people and you're doing a thing every day. You're starting a routine. It's a habit and that's a healthy way to practice, you know, success. Yeah. So is there a chance that we will kind of move into in business and in our like personal social lives where we're like really thinking about like numbers, specific standards and parameters on like a day to day, like hour to hour basis almost? Because I feel like there is still that fear of micromanagement. But what it seems like you've told me is that you had really good success with these principles and these this sort of analytics that you've practiced. I think you said that you had like the lowest number of injuries on the the Bengals. Are- yeah, yeah, in the NFL. Yeah. yeah, which is like 
amazing to yeah because injuries are brutal <laughs> injuries are brutal yeah so. and if you can find a way to minimize them yeah it's going to be you're going to have a, an edge a huge edge yeah so do you think that edge could be extrapolated elsewhere if we really thought this specifically about <laughs> yeah. our performance i mean maybe it's too much but like we're kind of going in that direction i would think so and i would think as long as you can identify the key metrics mm-hmm. that can lead to performance because let's just say just something crazy um i want to lose weight well, if you think that eating pizza three times a day is going to help you lose weight, and that's what you start doing, well, like that performance metric is going to send you in the opposite direction. Yeah. So you need to make sure that you can identify the key metrics mm-hmm. that will lead to success. I think that's the biggest thing is, like for Jocko, maybe for him, waking up at 4 a.m. makes him more productive throughout the day, all these things. Well... Uh, you For me, know. waking up at 3 p.m. makes me yeah. productive. <laughs> oh, exactly. You know, and, and that might be what works for you because guess what? If you wake up at 3 p.m., you can work until 3 a.m. Yeah. When everyone else, and if I'm waking up at 4, I'm going to bed at 8 because I need my sleep. So if I'm going to bed at 8 p.m., I'm missing out on a big chunk. If I'm on the East Coast and I go to bed at 8 p.m., guess what? I'm missing a big chunk of the West Coast people too. So um, I think that if you can identify what success means to you mm-hmm. and then identify what you need to do to get there, Yes, I think you can micromanage yourself and, and measure those metrics and, and make sure you're on track for success. And I think that's absolutely, I think that's a great way to apply it. Hey, sorry to interrupt this conversation with Jamie Mraz, but I want to encourage you to learn more about his peak performance framework. He shot a full workshop on the principles he has used with all pro NFL players and business folks alike, but he did so per usual exclusively for MentorBox members. If you want access to that and much, much more, Sign up at mentorbox.com. Okay, back to the show. That's an interesting thing to think about is just if you can like numerically look at the time you spend doing things. And we ha- we have we actually have had some folks on here who do advocate for that sort of thing. We have we had the Womax, Jason and Jody, they're a couple that um, they speak, they write, they do it all, they coach, and they think that a really good practice is they have, I think it's the 30 for 30 rule where you'd spend 30 minutes a day working on something that isn't due until more than 30 days out. And it's like, you really just kind of, it's almost like it distracts you from what's like immediately there, but you're being productive. So you're establishing a productivity habit within yourself, just like Jocko waking up at 4am. That's that sort of thing. Do you have any things like that for yourself actually, where you just have habits that just create that productive spirit within you? You know, what we just spoke about at lunch, uh, we talked about when do you know if you're working hard enough or doing enough? And I think, you know, the time I spent in the NFL kind of put this, I don't want to say fear, but it puts this work ethic in you where you just go, 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 and grind, grind, grind. So for me specifically, I'm always like, have I done enough? Have I done enough? I always want to do more. More is better. More, 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 more. Now, that might not be healthy. That might not be good. Jocko might have a little bit of that. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, for me, I don't have any specific things where I'm like, you know, if I do this for 30 minutes a day, I'm going to be good. I know. Well, consistently, I wake up every morning at 5. I go to the gym. I work out every morning. I meditate every day. Those are things that I I try to stretch multiple times a week. Yeah. Not specifically yoga class, but I like to stretch. I go through a whole stretch routine. That's something that I like to do to keep me, you know, physically going. And I think, you know, the self-awareness you gain through exercise uh, really 
you know, opens up your mind too. Uh, I think it's all like we spoke about earlier. It's all one. Everything works together. Um, so for me, I don't necessarily have any specific working things like, oh, I need to work, you know, I need to do this for an hour every day. But those are still habitual practices that, yeah. that allow you to probably extrapolate that productivity to everything. Else exactly. To so work. me getting up and working out in the morning, it gets me going. If I don't exercise in the morning, I can feel like I don't drink coffee. I don't drink caffeine. Okay. I don't. So for me, if I don't exercise, I feel almost sluggish. Mm-hmm. So you know, to me, exercise is part of my routine. It's how I'm productive because yeah. now by 7 a.m., I'm showered, had breakfast, and I'm moving. Mm-hmm. Um, where a lot of people might not have even, you know, their alarm might not be set till seven. So, yeah. you know, I like to get a jump on it, and I like to get things moving. And when I work out, honestly, I'm a lot of times I'm taking notes on stuff because my head is just going ideas are coming and flowing so specifically no i don't have any like rules and regulations but that might be part of my problem too (laughs) i might need to create some boundaries for myself and and you know shut down sometimes and you know find a better balance but i look at more of it as uh instead of work-life balance i like to look at like work-life integration so when i'm looking at work-life balance versus work-life integration what we want to do is be able to find that integration where you're happy doing work because if you're not happy, work, guess what? Work is a big part of everyone's life. And if you're not happy yeah. doing your work, then there's a good chance you're going to struggle being happy, period. If you love your job, you'll never work in a, d- a day in your life. Exactly. And it's cliche, but it's the truth. So when yeah. you can find a work-life integration, then I think that's when you're going to find true balance in your life. And, and then those boundaries don't necessarily exist. You don't have to create boundaries because you're living your life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just what it is. So it's an interesting concept, and I actually have to think about that, see if I need to put some boundaries on myself. <laughs> I'd say you're doing pretty well having worked with four out of five teams <laughs> at this point and done what you've done. But I like to think, I often, when people talk about work-life balance and that sort of thing, I like to kind of dig in and really ask them like what they're talking about in particular because then this is what most people come to a conclusion about is that you know their work is more than just a job to make money. In most cases, that should at least be the goal, you know, you should be looking for that sort of thing. And maybe you can't do it immediately, you know, right out of college, you kind of got to start some way. If you don't go to college, you know, different sort of situation, whatever it is. But with athletes, to me, it's like a, it's like a super combination of like things. So it's, it's work and it's life because you are just so, so dedicated to it. But it's also health because you're practicing the best health in every way. It's probably your favorite thing ever. Everybody who's a professional athlete loves that sport or like at, at least did in their at younger years. At one point year. in their yeah, life, they love point. it. Like, yeah. Nobody is just like a phenomenal football player and like wakes up every day and is like, mom, I don't want to go to the game today. Like, yeah. <laughs> like maybe you get sick of it after a while because you do get sore because it's difficult and that sort of thing. And it's stressful. Sure. But like you loved it at one point. Yeah. So it's really like this super combination of like work, life, love, health, and it all comes together in one which is why it's so fascinating that the that it's like such a huge I mean it's not fascinating it's not surprising that it's such like a massive you know entity in our country and in our culture that sports are as entertainment and as an endeavor and it does really seem like an ideal sort of existence to be able to do all those things like you're maintaining ideally you're maintaining good health while doing what you love and making a lot of money for it and if you do it right you know you're getting pretty famous at the same time and you're you get to like you know, share who you are and yeah. that sort of thing. Are do, are you having a similar experience from your perspective with the team, with the teams that you've worked with? Um, I would say this. So the grass isn't always greener. So there's a lot of examples right there, uh, a lot of great positive things. 
And they're all great and amazing. And what happens is just like normal, you know, and I don't want to say normal people, but in normal life, monotony and strain, when things are the same and there's no variation, it's very easy to become um, complacent. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to become unhappy. It's very easy to become depressed Mm -hmm. when you're constantly doing the same thing every time. So the other side of the fame, the glit, the money, um, you know, a platform to express yourself is day in and day out, seven days a week, however many hours a day, you are engulfed in one thing. So just like the person who's a financial advisor or just like the person who's a sales guy and, and they might be upset with their job and they come home and they're mad at, you know, the dog and they're, and they're upset about all these different things in their life, it's having the ability to focus, refocus, mm-hmm. practice gratitude and and make the best out of your situation. That's what separates between happy and unhappy individuals is that ability to control your focus, identify bright spots, and be thankful and have gratitude for your situation and where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, just like normal, you know, normal people get depressed, pro athletes get depressed. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, there's a lot of, you know, jet, it's, and it's the same for everybody across the board. When you do the same thing day in and day out, it can become very hard on you mentally. Sure. So having that ability to refocus and, um, you know, really optimize your thoughts and what you're thinking about. That's the difference really between, and, and it, and that goes across all boards everywhere across life, every profession you do, you could be the best landscaper in the world. You're going to get pretty sick of cutting grass, you know, after a while, <laughs> anything, you could be the best videographer and you're going to get tired of videotaping. You're going to get tired one day and and that's what uh, and, Will and, is <laughs> nodding his head in the corner <laughs> as he records. He's on watch right now. We're, we're gonna do some. We're gonna do some uh, refocus and mental skills after this. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I totally feel that. I mean, I think we all understand yeah. that. But that's also remarkable to me because athletes, in particular, well, I, I would say football players in particular, because sports are very different. But they have like distinct time frames for when, you know, something different that the, all their work, their, like, you know, back-end work is going toward. Like, you have Friday Night Lights, the Sunday night yeah. game, Sunday football. Like, that's huge. I assume that football players get, like, the most singular adrenaline for their games because, A, it's, like, the most popular sport in America, and, B, it only happens once a week. Once a week, yeah. Other sports, it's, like, baseball's every freaking day at baseball, this point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Like, they, I don't even know if they have practices in between <laughs> anymore. It's, like, it, like, the job is the game, whereas yeah. football, most of the job is not the game. It seems like the games are the rewards. There are the playoffs in every sport, and, like, that's what you're ultimately fighting for. But I would think that because what you do in as a child, if you're involved in sports, or even if you're not, you're seeing those players who are, like, revered, it's like it's with you every moment of your life, basically, because it's such a part of American culture. Whereas, like, being a very successful and big, like, you know, financial advisor or CEO of a company or somebody in tech, those are visible. And, like, there are movies about them. Like, you know, you have The Social Network, and you know who Mark Zuckerberg is. You know who a lot of the big CEOs are. But you don't understand the work that they're doing, like, from that that young age. Like, you know that they have, like, very good computing skills or, like, you know, knowledge of money, but you don't possess that as a child. What you do possess as a child is like the ability to play the sport that these professionals are playing. You don't obviously know what they know. Like you don't know what Tom Brady sees when he's throwing the ball and you don't know how to like read a play like they do, but you, you know the basics of it. Whereas when you're a young kid and you're seeing like 
people in business, you really don't know much of any of it. It's, and that's why, to me, sports are so remarkable because when you're a professional player, you, you've basically been learning the exact form of what you're doing your entire life, unless you're, like, one of those few who started late in their career and just, like, They played, played one year in high school, got a yeah. full ride to Alabama. Oh, okay. Six foot seven, <laughs> 300 pounds, super athletic. Like, oh, football's a thing, I'll do that. And they pretty just, like, average, yeah. yeah. That's pretty normal. So, like, it's, it's just so remarkable to me that it's something that you really, like, you understand pretty keenly all your life, but then when you get there, it's like you still deal with the same sorts of stuff, even though, like, you're getting paid a ton, you're probably famous. But then I guess, you know, if we're talking about football especially, you know, just yesterday we talked about this too. They, like, I think they banned kneeling. The NFL decided that you can't kneel during the national anthem. So, like, you don't really get as much of a platform to express yourself as we thought. And there's also, like, the threat of, health and concussions and that sort of thing, which is, like, more severe than if you're, you know, sitting at a desk all day. There's just a lot to think about, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where we're now talking Ex- about. Some, expressing my thoughts pretty <laughs> broadly here. There are studies, though, that say sitting, if the longer you sit per day, you know, the shorter your lifespan. I don't know the exact numbers on it, but that's why everyone I, is standing up those, now. Yeah. yeah, that's why everyone's standing up at their desk. Now. Yeah, and, like, commuting long ways is, yeah. isn't that safe. So, yeah, like, but everything has, you know, its health concerns and especially, you know, mental and emotional. And I just think it's so great that you're, that you're helping players from that back end, you know, having a sports psych degree, but also, like, training them physically in that way. I feel like you're, you're, you're doing the Lord's work right now, helping, <laughs> helping these players on their way. But what I want to know, like, what some of the biggest challenges that you face were off the field. So, you know, don't reveal anything that you wouldn't yeah. <laughs> be allowed to speak about. But like what kinds of challenges are the most difficult with professional athletes? Can you think of any? Yeah, absolutely. So I know when, uh, you know, and when you start winning, mm-hmm. uh, you can become pretty complacent with winning. And you don't necessarily do the same things you were doing at the beginning of the season when mm-hmm. you were you were zero and zero and you're working so hard against this faceless opponent trying to become the best you can be. And then all of a sudden you go three, four, five and oh. Now you're like, oh, we're going to win. We, you know, we can calm down. So keeping players engaged when you're winning, learning how to act when you win. How do you act when you have success? That's a huge part of it. Another is how do you act when you don't have success? Mm-hmm. So being able to refocus every week because, look, you know, hey, elephant in the room. Yeah, I coached for Cleveland. You know, we had a pretty tough season. How did you keep players engaged and focused? Because, look, every week it was a close game. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, we weren't getting blown out 44 to nothing. Yeah, it was one or two possessions at the end of the game that decide, determined the game. You know, we lost to Pittsburgh in week one off of a blocked punt. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's, that's one right, play yeah. in the game. So, and then in the fourth quarter, there was still a chance to come back. So, that's the thing is, is being able to rally everybody and refocus, you know, and keep the motivation as you get later into the season. So in high school, what do you play, eight to ten games? Yeah, I think Not we, even ten. I don't even know I how think many. we hit ten my senior year and junior year. In, in college, how many games do you play? I think it's like... It's the same. I think it's like yeah, ten it's, to twelve, I maybe. I think it's just ten, actually. And then, and then you have your, uh, you know, if you make the bowl series, you have a bowl game later in the year. When you get to the NFL, if you have a bye week in week eight, that's the midpoint of the season. Mm-hmm. That's normally that's right around Thanksgiving ish, October, November. That's when most of the time you're done. I mean, yeah. college football is done the first week of November, second week of November. So when you're hitting your bye, your bye week. 
everyone else is done. So now you have a whole nother half of the season to go, yeah. and you have to be able to stay focused. And it's getting motivated. colder depending on where you are too. Depending where you <laughs> are, yeah. I mean, snow and you got to practice in the snow. You got to practice in the cold. So being able to week after week re-engage, re-energize, refocus, um, that is definitely one of the most challenging parts, but also one of the most exciting and fun because yeah. that's the process. So you talk about loving the process. The yeah. process is to let's go, let's get everyone going and um, you know, bring the energy, bring the juice. And that's that's part of it, week in and week out. Yeah. So let's let's think about that as a final thought then. The fact that you have you know, you're either winning every game or maybe losing every game, but you have that competition. And we talked about competition yeah. earlier too. You know, the best thing that you can ultimately do is, you know, put those blinders on and just focus on yourself and be better at your game. But you're gonna, if, if you're undefeated, like other teams aren't coming into those games truly just like, hey, it's another team, it's another game. Like they've, you know, they've probably studied film and they want to beat the undefeated team. Like yeah. by the end of that undefeated Patriots season, every team was like, Damn, like they're 12 and 0, 13 and 0. Like, yeah. we got to win this game. And they didn't, except for the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. I'm so upset. I'm really upset. Upset. <laughs> but this, and this, I think this applies to everything. When you are leading an industry, when your company is leading an industry, you know, there's a good chance that, you know, monopolies can happen these days. Like, the rate at which Amazon is growing to just be the, the store of everything. And, the fact that there's like some duopolies in tech and that sort of thing, like you can really take over a space if you're doing that well. So you really do have to kind of think about your competition, think about what where they're going, or if you're that leader of the pack, that undefeated team in whatever case, you have to be aware that people are going to be gunning for you for one reason or another, whether it's like pride or if it's because like my business needs to survive yeah. under this giant monopoly. So... How do you think about that? Let's say that you're in that position of being a major leader. Do you, you know, take stock of what your competition is doing or do you really, is that a point where you really have the opportunity to like focus on yourself and really put those blinders on, do you think? I think it's a little bit of both. So in some cases it might be, you know, through networking events and just having casual conversation, you do want to see what's going on around you Mm -hmm. because you know what, a competitor might have something that, you could benefit from or you might be able to extrapolate something they're doing and make it better yeah so there's always time to learn from your competitors and your competition majority of my time i would say our blinders on and we are focused on getting better and that's all we're doing we're not focused on gossip we're not focused on anything in the past we're not focused on what we have done we're focused on what we're going to do and we're focused on growing expanding staying positive focused on the on the future mm-hmm. and constant evaluation i see feedback going up and down how are you doing how am i doing what can i improve upon how can we do this better and that's how we're going to grow that's going to be our game plan for growth and success building you know structure and growth in the company it would just be constant evaluation and growth. I see. I I think that's a really great message. Really self-evaluating something that's so important, doing it right. Again, having those metrics that you mentioned earlier for, you know, how you're going to achieve that success, I think is like one of the first steps. If you're at that stage where you're a pro player or if you're, you know, in a major company, you probably know your metrics and everything, but keeping those in mind and evaluating and just focusing on yourself, I think is a, a good message to take away here. So if people want to learn more from you, about you, you know, what you're doing, any of your lessons or maybe some exercise science, that sort of thing, how can they, how can they find you? 
I'm, I'm on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Instagram is probably my go-to. I put the most content out on Instagram. Um, so, you know, reach out to me anytime, any questions. It's at Jamie Mraz, J-A-M-E-Y-M-R-O-Z. Um, reach out, you know, ask me some questions. I'd love to chat, love to, you know, see if we can solve some problems. Yeah, awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming in. It was good to see you again and good to have this talk. I'm Absolutely. glad that you're killing it as you (laughs) thank you for having me and uh, i appreciate it and i love coming in yeah absolutely everybody else thanks for listening we'll see you on the next episode all right thank you so much for listening to the mentor box podcast if you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach make sure to sign up at mentorbox.com and if you like the mentor box podcast please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.